This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Slash Home Daily for Monday, January 30th, 2023. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Home Editorial Director Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home writer and box office analyst Ryan Scott. Hey, hey, everyone. Happy Monday. How's it going? I can't believe it's actually the end of January already. It's like this year is flying by. Uh, but, you know, it's Monday, Ryan, and you are here, which... We know one of the topics of today's discussion is going to be box office. And, uh, you know, because it's the time that we're living in that all revolves around Avatar The Way of Water. Uh, it does, but it doesn't. It was a kind of interesting weekend. Like, naturally, uh, Avatar, with no big new releases, topped the box office for the seventh consecutive weekend. Uh, James Cameron is the only man who's ever managed to do that. Uh, it's the first time it's happened since Avatar came out uh, back in 2009. And the record still belongs to Titanic, which, if you can believe it, topped the box office 15 straight weeks. Um, how, how many does the first Avatar have uh, weekends in a row? Do you know? uh, I have to double check that. Um, I believe it was around 10. Uh, okay. But, uh, but yeah, so, um, you know, and I can look that up uh, right now. But anyway, so Avatar... Um, in the way of water uh took in another 15.7 million dollars um uh you know it, it, it's it's now past uh 2.11 billion worldwide it recently passed the force awakens uh to become the um uh highest uh, fourth highest grossing movie of all time uh it will soon pass titanic what more can i say it's uh, disney must be thrilled uh, and, uh, in looking it over, it looks like, uh, seven is where the original avatar stopped, uh, as it, uh, slipped to number two in its eighth weekend, losing to dear John of all things. <laughs> wow. Okay. So this is likely going to beat avatar one in, in that respect. Uh, it doesn't mean it's going to get to the, the box office avatar one did. Um, but it, do no, you think it, it, it's not going to get. To, it's not going to catch Avatar, but but it it could get that record. Yeah, because I'm looking at well, because we have knock weekend? at the cat. We have knock at the cabin coming out this upcoming weekend. Oh. So 
you know, I mean, I I could see a world in which that does. Uh, well, I I would actually be surprised if that does because you got to figure Avatar is going to drop. Let's say it drops another twenty five percent, sticks around twelve million or so. I could see Knock at the Cabin do way better than that. So yeah, it's probably going to top out at seven weeks. I would guess. Damn. So it's not going to be Titanic's fifteen weekends. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would say it's safe to say that's not going to happen. Um, but yeah, so I mean, we you know, there's not a lot left to say about Avatar The Way of Water. Once it passes Titanic, that's probably where it's going to sit. James Cameron will have a nice little uh, highest grossing of all time sandwich with Avengers Endgame in the middle. And, you know, what more can be said? Yeah, I, I still want to see Titanic to overtake Avatar The Way of Water and it's re-released this uh, next month. And then Avatar to retake it because I, yeah, I just feel thing, like that's fun. The big thing I am still looking at, and I guess this is worth talking about because odds are, you know, these movies will get re-released here and there as the other sequels roll out. Um, and one thing to look at is that the recent re-releases for the original Avatar did really well. And, uh, and it, it's important to note that the original Avatar, as it stands, is at $2.899 billion worldwide. Wow. Let's assume through a couple of other re-releases as the other sequels make their way out, if this thing can make another $101 million, it could become the one and only $3 billion grocer in history. So... <laughs> you know, something to keep an eye on because you look at how much it made in its re-releases, that is not a number that is out of the question. So, you know, we'll see. Crazy. Okay, uh, any, anything else this weekend at the box office? Yeah, quite a bit, actually. So let's go over this as quick as I possibly can. Uh, Puss in Boots Last Wish continuing to do very well as the only animated flick out there for families. Another $10.6 for the number two spot. Only dropped 10%. Going to cross $350 million worldwide soon. Should maybe top out at, oh God, I don't know, probably maybe 360, which is great for a $90 million movie. And it's probably done very well on VOD. Um, and then you had a man called Otto at number four, uh, number three, I'm sorry, made another 6.7 million. It is kind of one of the only adult focused dramas that's making money. You, uh, the only thing hampering it is it's $50 million budget, but it is doing well. Um, the, it, one of the very interesting things that happened this weekend was we had stuff like, uh, Pathon, I think is how you say it, which is another, um, Indiewood Bollywood blockbuster that made, um, the original estimates had it at like 5.9 million, but now I'm seeing that with the actuals, it'll be closer to 7 million and that played on less than 700 screens. If it does get to that 7 million, that means it would be the number three movie of the week, um, with little to no mainstream advertising. Uh, so, you know, maybe you can thank RRR and the emergence of Bollywood cinema for mainstream North America for that. Uh, so that was really interesting. Um, you know, then you had other stuff like Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist, which starred Kevin Sorbo. I'm not here promoting that movie necessarily, but <laughs> as a Fathom Events release, it made $2.3 million. Then you had the Chinese sci-fi epic, The Wandering Earth 2, making $1.35 million. Billie Eilish live at the O2 with 1.9 million. The main point being that specialty programming and sort of serving underserved audiences brought in a lot more box office this weekend. And overall, this weekend compared to the same weekend last year, it was 100% better 
at the domestic box office. So this weekend, the movies took in around 70 million total, whereas last weekend it was, or this weekend last year, it was only around 35 million. So as far as the overall box office health, box office health goes, we're in really good shape. Yeah. Well, a, a week ago we had the Oscar nominations. Did, did those nominations bring any boost to the box office? Funny you should ask, Peter. They certainly did. Uh, so um, a couple of studios pounced on the Oscar nominations and re-released some movies that had been out for a little bit. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once got made its way back to 1,400 screens, took in another $1.014 million for A24. That's all gravy, given that that movie is definitely already in profits. Um, it's also worth noting that movie's been on VOD for months and available on Blu-ray for months, and people were still willing to come out. We also had the whale expand, uh, adding another 130 screens, took in another million dollars. Women talking was the big one, uh, one of the big ones. It jumped 167.3 percent, took in a million bucks. That movie had made right next to nothing before. The Fablemans jumped 73 percent to make 760 grand. Um, Living, which is a uh, which stars Bill Nye, who's been uh, nominated for Best Actor. That expanded into over 600 theaters, made you know close to $600,000. Tar had an uptick of almost 140% for $174,000. So you're not seeing like gigantic numbers here, but what you are seeing is that the Oscar nominations absolutely did bring people out to theaters and that it showed an uptick in interest. The nice thing is that we have you know, five or so weeks, uh, uh, about six weeks, I think, until the actual Oscars air, which means that, you know, these movies can continue to make a little bit of money for the next six weeks. And some of these movies are already available on VOD. So it stands to reason that if they had an uptick at the box office, they almost certainly had an uptick in VOD numbers and stuff as well. So that's good for the studios. That's good for people that want to see original movies. Uh, and that bodes well for the Oscar ceremony, potentially bringing in more people to actually watch it, which would be helpful as well. So, you know, overall, that's a really encouraging thing to see. For sure. Um, I, I, I want to uh, shift lanes for a second and talk about Tomb Raider, the TV series at Amazon. Uh, we learned a couple days ago that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is set to write and develop a, a Tomb Raider TV series at Amazon uh, that's not all we learned, but, uh, let me just talk about this for one second, because I think this is interesting because, um, you know, the franchise of Tomb Raider is, it's kind of like a take on Indiana Jones, right? It's, it's kind of like in that same wheelhouse and she Ish, is in, yeah. yeah, but she, she's in Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, uh, which she also helped write or did she get full screener and critic i don't even know uh but uh i don't think i think she's just in it i don't think she because she wrote no time to die but she didn't or she co-wrote no time to die oh. I, don't think, I think i think she's just in indiana jones okay then i i'm totally wrong on the screenwriting credit okay uh, uh i'm looking this up right now <laughs> but anyway but, you know she, she's got a she's got her hand in a couple of uh treasure hunting camps Oh, yeah, I'm totally wrong on the screenwriting. I don't know why I thought that she helped write it. Uh, but, yeah, James Mangold, Jez Butterworth, and John Henry Butter Butterworth. Um, so, okay, uh, either way, she's in Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny. And uh, the point I wanted to get to is a lot of people have been kind of assuming that Indiana Jones – well, there's a couple assumptions going on with this last Indiana Jones. A lot of people seem to think Indiana Jones is going to die in this movie. Um 
time will tell if that's the case. It's kind of been said that this is his last, uh, this is the last Indiana Jones film for Harrison Ford. He's kind of come out and said that much. Um, but the, I think the prevalent thought is that Phoebe Waller Bridges character in Dial of Destiny is going to kind of get past the torch in a way. There's been an assumption about that. Yeah. Because it's because Kathleen Kennedy, Lucasfilm, Disney's made it very clear that like, Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. We're not recasting that role. It's not happening. Like, so, you know, it's just, they're, they're not going to go that way with it. So if they want to continue the franchise, it's got to be a passing of the torch. So this is kind of interesting to me because if Phoebe Waller-Bridge is developing, I, I mean, I don't think she's starring in <laughs> this uh, Tomb Raider film. She, she, yeah, right series. now she's just, she's just developing and writing it. I don't think she's set to star yet yet yeah but um if she's doing that it, it doesn't that kind of uh bring some uh, i don't know it makes me curious of if she's if it's actually if the rumors are true that the torch is gonna be ta- uh passed to her because i feel like would she really be wanting to do two w- would she really want like her you know next decade or two to be uh tied up in two uh Tomb Raider. Very similar franchises. franchises. Yeah. 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 But but I think the thing is, though, you have to look at she's got a deal at Amazon, I think, to develop other stuff. So she does yeah. some acting for sure. The other thing, I don't know that that's the way it's going to go. I've been very hesitant to buy those rumors. I do believe that like Disney was going to keep its options open. We're like, OK, she's here. She's probably not going to die. If people respond well to it, we could always make a movie or show with her. But we're not going to like firmly set that up just in case it doesn't go the way we want it to go. So yeah. like, that would be my best guess. And if she's Mutt Williams, we'll, we'll forget about her. And never right. <laughs> the other thing I think is there's been, I think, you know, there's that Indiana Jones spinoff TV show being developed loosely for Disney plus. Ravenwood. Uh, yeah. But, but, but I do think that like, you know, given what's gone gone on with uh, Kihoi Kwan from Everything Everywhere All at Once, it would be way more likely to me to see like a short round show or something at this point. Um, For sure. So I don't know. We'll see. But but um, but I mean, that show, the other thing to consider is that that show is just one part of what apparently is going to be a bigger thing for Amazon right now with Tomb Raider. Yeah, so so that was the initial report that she was developing that show, but now we have learned that uh, there's a show, there's a movie, they're going to be connected, they're going to tie in directly with a new previously announced game being developed by Crystal Dynamics, and it's going to be like a Marvel-esque multimedia franchise, uh, in other words, a cinematic universe. Um, so Yeah, they, they were he- very hesitant to use that phrasing, but like, but... But because there was a, it was like a few months ago there because there was supposed to be a sequel of sorts to the 2018 Tomb Raider that starred Alicia Vikander. Um, yeah. And then that fell apart. The rights lapsed. And so there was apparently a bidding war for the Tomb Raider rights. And Amazon's deal was apparently second to only their massive, massive deal to for the Lord of the Rings rights. So they apparently paid a pretty penny for these. Yeah. Uh, do you think tomb raider is enough to sustain a um you know i was gonna say cinematic uh (laughs) a a marvel-esque multimedia franchise 
Well, I think the games have endured for decades, so there's no question, you know, people will go to the games if they're good. Um, the movies have been modest hits at best. Uh, you know, the original uh, from 2001, $94 million budget, $273 million worldwide. You know, it, it, back in the home video days, that's that's okay. Uh, the sequel, $90 million budget, only 157 worldwide. That's a flop any way you look at it. Uh, I, then, I have no doubt that they could have a, a series of films, Ryan. I, I guess my doubt or my cynicism is in like a connected narrative that goes, you know, not just in the movies, but the TV show and the game. And you have to watch all three to. Right. So it. I think. Th- yeah. Yeah. I, I think what I was getting at is, okay, so let's look at the most recent one. The 2018 Tomb Raider did almost identical numbers to the original. $90 million budget, $273 million worldwide box office. So I think what you're looking at is like, sure, if you budget the movie correctly, you can make a movie people will watch. Um, If you, I I do believe you could sustain a TV show and movies. I, I think you could. I think the problem is if you start getting into like, Oh, you have to buy into this whole interconnected universe and care about these other characters. No, I just think that if you're smart, you can maybe make a show that, you know, sort of releases in the in-between windows of the movies and you can watch either or. If you budget them correctly, I think it's fine. The games are going to do just fine on their own because they're the games. So I think that like if you're investing in like a multimedia franchise, sure. If you're saying we can build a cinematic universe out of this, probably not. (laughs) Yeah, I, I I agree with you. Uh, we have some more to talk about, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Okay, I want to talk about the DCU. Uh, Rumor has it that they might announce the DCU's slate uh, sometime this week, maybe even possibly tomorrow. Well, uh, on that note, James Gunn has been very vocal on Twitter. I've covered this for Superhero Bits quite a bit. He's said they're going to at least announce some of the slate in January. Well, it's January 30th, so if they're going to do that, it's going to be very soon. So it seems likely. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he only has one day left. Right. Uh, but 
we we have this quote from uh, Dave Batista. You, you know, James Gunn is known for uh, working with the same people over and over again. He, you know, he yeah he's he's a people person. He loves uh, he makes relationships with these actors, and he he loves working with them. And he brings back. And I I think he's even talked on Twitter about you know the, his. DCU will have some of the James uh, Gunn regulars, uh, but we have Dave Batista who was asked about this uh, by uh, the by Insider, I think. Yeah, it was Insider, and he he gave some information that I think uh, is a little bit telling. This is what uh, Dave Batista says: I have had conversations with James about that, but I think the direction he's leaning in, completely rebooting that whole universe. He's starting from scratch and starting younger and fresher. And I think you need to do that. He went on to say, I think for the DC universe to be revived, you need to start from scratch. I think you need to start with younger actors. You need to start to plan for the next 15 years. And I just don't think you can do that with me. And I understand that. And I also... I have to say that I appreciate that because I don't want to play a character that I can't bring justice to it. I don't think at this point in my career that I can bring justice to Bane anymore. I just don't think I could handle that phys- the physical part, and I don't think I would have the longevity to plan ahead for films. So I just don't know if I'd be that guy, unquote. So I think this is a little bit telling. I mean, it's not like hugely surprising, but him saying that uh, James is... Starting over from scratch, I think we assumed. Uh, starting yeah. younger and fresher, I think, is something that we hadn't heard. Well, but uh, it's sort of, because, I mean, James Gunn already said when it came to light that he was writing a new Superman movie that it was going to be a younger Superman, which is part of the reason that Henry Cavill won't be taking the role again. So I think we've already had hints that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Um I just think it's strange that Dave Batista is is too old to play Bane because I always assumed Bane was going to be like in his uh, like forties or and I just looked it up. Dave Batista's fifty four years old. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I, I didn't know. Yeah. That. So he's even joked about like you know Drax being difficult because it's harder for him to take a shirt off. I mean, like Dave Batista is in incredible shape, but you know you can only sustain that sort of physique for so long. And you know, yeah, I think that like being fifty four and Bane is a very physical role, like. And also, I just think Dave Batista is doing different stuff, like what he's doing with Knock at the Cabin, even like he, he just wants to do different things with his career at this point. So I think that's fair. Yeah, um, I think there's also an element of that going on here that like maybe Dave Batista wants to do some other stuff other than superhero uh movies right because everyone wants to work with him like who yeah. like you know what i mean like you look at the look at the list of directors that dude has worked with like ever <laughs> since starring in guardians of the galaxy it's awesome and also it's because like he's a very good actor you know like like he's you know ryan johnson um denny villeneuve um m night Shyamalan. i mean you start going down the list you're like damn people want to work with this guy and so like you know, Sam Mendes even, cause he did Spectre. Like, you know, so I feel like he's going to have a lot of opportunity in front of him. And, you know, if you're in, even if he did, let's say he got offered Bane at this point, you have to take into consideration what that means for your career and what you're giving up to play a role like that at this point. Yeah. And I, I've also heard that he's just a delight to work with. Like I've not heard any, anybody say one bad thing about working with Dave Batista. Yeah. Uh, 
he he's he's someone you want to have on set. I remember being on the set of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two and being in line at the craft service table. Which, by the way, the stars do not wait in line at the craft service table. It's, they usually have someone go get them craft service and bring it back to their trailer. But Dave Bautista was in line in front of us, and then like he looked behind us. He was like, "Oh no, get in, get in front of me, you guys." Uh, <laughs> no, no, he was just being like super nice. So he's <laughs> yeah, a great guy. I- I've heard nothing but like because there was there was a video after Glass Onion came out of him on his last day of filming and he gave this little speech on set about how like every one of you worked harder than me. I don't like doing this like I'm just here to work like you guys. And I shared that and then I had some people that like have a little bit more intimate knowledge behind the scenes. and They say, yeah, like he's one of those guys that like he presents that. But like he really is that way. Like no one has a bad thing to say about him like, that has ever worked with him apparently. So um, yeah, I mean, you know, so that reputation and his ability to, you know, do different types of roles. I mean, he, again, the opportunity in front of him is going to be greater than I think at this point, signing up for another decade of superhero movies is going to, is going to warrant. For sure. Okay. Uh, let's move on to our last story for today. And that is something you posted about last week. This is about Peacock and how much money <laughs> they made last year. Or I should should I say how much money they lost last year? Yeah, Ryan, tell uh, just us about real it. just real quick before we move on. I just did look something up while we were talking, and uh, so Knock at the Cabin currently at the low end is expected to debut with eighteen million. So it will almost certainly dethrone Avatar. Just just to sort of put a pin in that, but um. So good for Dave Bautista. But anyway, yeah, yeah cir- circling back to Peacock. Um, yeah, so uh, uh, NBC, uh, Comcast recently reported its fourth quarter earnings for 2022. Uh, Comcast owns NBC Universal, which is the driving source behind Peacock, the streaming service where you can watch such shows as Girls 5 Eva and uh, Ryan Johnson's new show, uh, Poker Face. Um, well, as we know, um, we've talked about a bit here that starting a streaming service is tremendously expensive. Uh, you have to invest a lot of money over time to build up a library that is attractive enough to get subscribers. You know, even Disney is sort of not looking to profit on Disney Plus till 2024. That's fine. But they also, you know, Disney across Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus has over 235 million subscribers. Well, Peacock is sitting at 20 million. And they're quite frankly, lagging behind most of the big competition. Uh, And the losses are piling up. Uh, For 2022, Peacock lost $2.5 billion, and those losses are expected to peak in 2023 with another $3 billion in losses. All of this while they have about a tenth of the subscribers of Netflix or Disney. Um... That math is pretty unfavorable, uh, you know, when you consider that <laughs> Peacock costs any, anywhere between four ninety nine and nine ninety nine a month, but that is not taking into account that a lot of those are deals through other, you know, cable, cell phone, whatever. They make those deals where you get it much cheaper. There's annual plans, you know, all that stuff. Plus, they have a free version, which, you know, prevents a lot of people from subscribing, and even if you were to get that nine ninety nine a month from everybody they currently have, that only gets you to about two point four billion per year in revenue. Forget profit, and they're nowhere near ninety nine ninety nine a month per subscriber. And that's where they're still losing two point five to three billion a year. So how many subscribers does it take to get you into the black? I mean, you know, they're they they seem to be playing a losing game here, and I don't know at what point 
you know, I understand that, you know, like companies like Amazon, Netflix, these large, large media companies, they tend to operate at a loss, but this just seems wildly unsustainable to me. Um, you know, so, you know, I don't know, but read the tea leaves. It doesn't seem like Peacock's going to be the one to make it. <laughs> yeah, I love, uh, your headline is like, how is this sustainable? And I think your, your conclusion is it isn't. Well, I'm just asking a question. Cause like, again, I'm not a business guy. Like, you know, box offices, the thing I like about this stuff is numbers don't really lie to you. Right. And yeah. I'm just saying that the math is unfavorable because I think the problem is that what you would, the, the ultimate conclusion I come to is that, okay, so Comcast, NBC universal in particular is in a bad spot because you know, they're, they're a cable company ultimately. And, and they've relied a lot on like traditional over the top TV, cable satellite, that sort of stuff. Well, that stuff's all dying on the vine. Cord cutting is accelerating. Direct TV just lost the NFL Sunday ticket rights. And as a result, they cut like 40 or like 15 or 20% of their staff or something, you know? So like these companies have to have an eye on the future. So they must have an eye on streaming. And so I understand the need to continue to invest in Peacock, but the problem is their shows and movies aren't breaking through in the way that like Netflix, HBO max, Disney plus they're getting hits. And so it's like, you know, what do you do? And I, I, do you want to get into speculation territory at all? Or should I just leave it at that? No, let's get into speculation territory. And I also, before we actually get into speculation territory, I wanted to ask you about the freemium aspect of Peacock, because we see other streaming service services going into that area where they're going to be, uh, you know, offering their services with ads for either free or for a lower price. And that's something that Peacock has kind of done from the beginning. They've been th th that whole freemium model. And I always thought that that was a bad model for streaming services. I feel like you know, if you have a premium product, you need to get people to pay for it. Yeah, I think the thing with Peacock is it's heavily restricted, the, the free one is. Because um, I signed up for Peacock like day one just to check it out. And I really like that they have like one of the things I really like about Peacock is they have like a Pluto TV element to it where there's just a bunch of live streaming channels you can go to. So if you just want to turn your brain off and turn something on, you know, so you can access <laughs> that stuff for free. Yeah. But like, you know, a lot most of their um, premium shows, most of the premium movies, they're not available on free. So you'll be like looking around and you might want to watch something. Well, then you got to sign up. I don't know what the conversion rate is there, but I think Peacock in the beginning was sort of like trying to set themselves apart from the pack. And I sort of understand the thinking there. It just didn't really pan out, um, you know. Oh, OK, let's get into the speculation realm. What do you think is going to happen? OK, look. I think the point at this point in the streaming wars, particularly after what happened in 2022, just to summarize very quickly, Netflix lost a tremendous amount of value. Pretty much every major media company uh, saw their stock drop a pretty significant amount last year because, you know, this whole spend anything at all costs to win at streaming strategy is no longer being favored by Wall Street. So, you know, you had HBO, uh, you had HBO Max, you know, shredding content like crazy as a result of what's going on with Warner Media Discovery. So, or Warner Brothers Discovery, I'm sorry. So basically the point is that like the streaming wars are coming to a head. We're going to start seeing in the next year or two who's going to win out, who's going to not. Not all of these services are going to make it, plain and simple. Um, Peacock is firmly in the middle, if not lower middle of the pack. So what happens? Maybe we get another big merger on the table. Netflix has lost a lot of value. 
um, Netflix kind of stands alone. They don't have other elements of the media business. Mm. I could see a scenario by which Comcast buys Netflix and folds Peacock into Netflix, and then Netflix is the streaming arm of Comcast. And then Netflix isn't just relying purely on streaming. They have, it is one element of a much larger media business, but Netflix is the biggest name in streaming. So it would add tremendous value to Comcast and it would add tremendous safety net to Netflix's overall business model. If you, you know, had asked me two years ago if that was possible, I would have laughed at you, Ryan. Right. <laughs> and it, but a lot has changed. The 2022 yeah. changed everything. But then you also have to look at Apple, has Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus is almost cute at this point. They have a lot of good shows and movies, but their library is tiny. They need yeah. a library acquisition if they want to keep at it, it, it for real. And, you know, I could see Apple maybe buying Comcast. I don't know. Like, that's a big or spinoff NBC Universal mm -hmm. from Comcast, sort of like how AT&T did with Warner Media, And maybe Apple makes a big purchase there. But I, I could because Peacock can't make it with these numbers. So something crazy has to happen. And that would be the something crazy would be my. Yeah. Guess. And that and you mentioned that like NBC Universal is a you know this big company that has all other divisions. Uh, my other love, other than film, is theme parks. Do you know how much NBC Universal made in in 2022 with theme parks? I have no idea. Two point one billion dollars. So they basically subsidized the loss of uh, <laughs> that Peacock made with, with their theme parks, which is actually kind of uh, amazing because ten years ago, uh, Universal. Uh, I think every year was like a half a billion. So they've quadrupled that number in uh, in, ten, in a decade. So That's amazing. And as we yeah. discussed uh, after I got back from my vacation, I am an enormous fan of Universal <laughs> theme parks. Now, but could you imagine, let's say NBC Universal or Comcast buys Netflix, all of the Netflix stuff that you can exploit for the theme parks, you know, that becomes, you know, bigger business all around. So, you know, you can see where it would make sense. Oh, it would totally make sense. And I, I feel like, yes, uh, Netflix is not making the money that, you know, it, but I, I feel like there's there's components to that that could be good for an acquisition other than just being like, you know, what, be, becoming one of the top streaming services, like the merchandising, the licensing, the, you know, be, being able to make a, a Stranger Things theme park ride. Or well, right. And, and even like like a physical media business, even though that's a very small fraction of the overall business at this point, you could maybe see where Universal and its divisions go. OK, look, we're missing out on some home video markets. Screw it. Let's put that out there, you know, or like, or you know, or 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 the again, the idea that, you know, the one thing I think Netflix is resisting right now is going harder on theatrical. Well, I'll bet you anything if, you know, Comcast bought them they would exploit some of Netflix's bigger releases for Universal Pictures. And, you know, so so Netflix could in turn boost Universal's box office and then those hits benefit Netflix more. Like, it makes a lot of sense. It definitely does. Um, well, we'll see what, what happens in the, in the coming years uh, or maybe even this year because you said they're expected to lose $3 billion this year. But that's where the losses are expected to peak, Peter, which is the good news. Uh, so, you know. Um, <laughs> is that good news? I don't know if that's good news, right? Not not if you're not if you're sitting under 100 million subscribers, it isn't. <laughs> okay. You can find more of all the stories we mentioned on today's show 
on slashfilm.com and linked in the show notes. You can find this podcast, Slash Film Daily, on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com and rate and review this podcast and Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. Maybe we'll be talking about the DCU lineup. That'd be exciting. It would be exciting. Yeah. See you then. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.